From our local high schools to the pros, the Dallas Morning News has got North Texas sports covered, and it's more than just the scores. From all the off-season moves to in-season adjustments and maybe even postseason glory, the DMN has got the inside scoop on your favorite teams, players, and coaches. You can follow every goal, save, bucket, and touchdown as the Dallas Morning News delivers real local sports journalism from the press box and locker room straight to your inbox. As soon as the podcast is over, head to dallasnews.com sports to see what Brad Townsend, Callie Kaplan, and the rest of the DMN gang has for you there. Hello and welcome to Mavs Daily. It is the eve of the NBA season, or I guess if you're a big Nets fan, today's the day for you because the NBA is back. On Mavs Daily, we're breaking down a question, event, news, or trend every day that's having to do with the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Bobby Corella. I'm from Mavs Digital. I'm like the 17th person listed in the media guide in my own department, so you know I'm a big deal. Joining me today is the man who pointed that out to me. It's a nice backhanded compliment that I got from my guy, Isaac Harris. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I didn't know. I mean, today was basically, I guess yesterday was like the Oprah meme of pointing at the crowd. It's like, you get an extension and you get an extension and you get an extension. So a lot of people in the, around the league got an extension today. So naturally, Bobby, did you get I don't know if you got a max extension. Did you get max full four or five years or just a little under 20 million a year? I got nothing. Uh, the power was out in my apartment when I woke up <laughs> this morning. So that was the most exciting thing. The same power outage that forced the Mavs to work at American Airlines Center affected me because I sleep in the BioSteel practice facility. That is like where I live. So. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd actually work at the office today, which was just a huge Whoa. bummer. Uh, and I did not get an extension on my way out the door. So I'm, oh. I'm texting Shams and Woj all types of like drama crap, and you're going to see it blowing up on social media. James Harden is nothing compared to me. I'm already in Vegas. I'm already partying. Uh, I'm very drunk right now, Isaac, so this hey, is going to be a great He was episode. training. Huh? He was, tra- he was training in yeah, Vegas. Yeah, yeah, m- me too. I, I am too. <laughs> Yeah, because the the season starts, you know, tomorrow. So, like, I got to get in shape in 24 hours. Um, All right, so, Isaac, we are talking today, as it is the eve of the NBA season, uh, and it's almost the eve of Christmas. Like, this is a pretty busy week, pretty big week. And uh, yesterday was, like, the Jupiter-Saturn thing. So there's a lot of, like, celestial events happening in the world right now. But basketball is back, and that's the most important thing of all. And uh, today we figured like, all right, let's do like a little bit of a a season preview almost, but uh, Mavs slanted, obviously. One of the last episodes that we did was going through the entire NBA one by one and kind of taking a minute or so, give or take, for each team, asking like big questions, talking about the big sort of storylines and narratives, evaluating kind of the Mavs competition. And now we turn the microscope solely on the Mavs. And so you and I are going to ask five questions key questions about the Mavs that could define their season it could be something that is like a really good thing it could be something that is maybe a cause for concern or like a well what happens if this happens or doesn't happen uh so it's just kind of like going through maybe some uh some different scenarios and how this season could play out and some of the big things that we're thinking about but I mean obviously off the top 
Uh, Luca's amazing. We're going to talk about Luca. We're going to talk about KP. But what is like the, I don't know, just to reset a little bit. We talked about preseason a little bit, but what is kind of like a key thought or key takeaway from preseason that maybe caught you off guard or maybe that you weren't expecting to see before we start with these questions? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to say something different than Josh Richardson, uh, just because I do think I, I mentioned that on the last pod that, you know, we all thought that he would be an amazing fit. You know, Dallas um, sung their praises for him, too, after they got him and, you know, in, in training camp and everything about, man, he's going to be a great fit. We've been looking for a guy like this that can defend other point guards uh, like Josh Richardson uh, can. And I've said this recently, too, that, you know, we have talked so much about Richardson's offense during preseason, you know, 11 or 15 from the three point line and over 60 percent from the field. And um, he shot, you know, had a couple floaters in the paint. I'm like, dang, let's go. He's already hitting from the outside. But the main thing when the trade first happened, we were all talking about defense. And so he hasn't really had his defensive moment yet for us like in a Mavericks jersey for us to freak out about we're like we're all freaking out about offense right now but when is the first game that he puts the clamps on like a Lillard in a clutch situation or maybe it's he's guarding Devin Booker on you know the first first game for for Dallas you know this week so I, I want to I can't wait for that moment so for me I think it is Josh Richardson and you know, coming out of preseason, just how big of a presence and impact that he can have on the team, especially as we wait for KP. I thought that was a super big encouraging sign for us to see in that last preseason game uh, that, you know, KP came out with the team. He ran out with the team and he shot around before the game and he was having fun with it. And no matter, we don't know when he's going to be back, but still it was a, it was a good sign to see him out there having fun with the team and warming up a little bit with them. Josh Richardson is your X factor. Mark it down. That yeah. is kind of the in many ways career, career year for him. I think that's going to be coming. We we've kind of talked uh, a little bit about like when Tim first came in in the Porzingis trade and how we've seen his shooting numbers go up and how he had arguably his best year of his career last year uh, in Dallas. Could we see the same thing for a guy like Josh Richardson? I think we very well could. Yeah. So if Josh Richardson has a career year. He could make a lot of money next offseason. And also, the Mavs could be really, really, really good. You always yeah. say, like, well, as this guy goes, the team goes. And Richardson is kind of that guy, right? Like, last year we were like, okay, if Tim Hardaway can have a good year, then the Mavs could be pretty solid. Now, Tim Hardaway had a really good year, and the Mavs had the best offense ever. So, like, yeah. you know, there is room for these third, fourth caliber players to really kind of like lift up the whole team. So that's uh, – I'm glad you chose Josh Richardson because a lot of our questions have to do with Luka and KP and kind of like the team as a whole. But is it is important, I feel like, to give him a little bit of love because uh, he was one of the most efficient players in the preseason for what that's worth. But all right, it's time. That does kind of lead me to my first question, Isaac. So a uh, big question that will determine the fate of the season, number one, is Isaac, what happens – if the Mavs don't shoot it great from three like they did last year. They were number 10 in the NBA last year. They were a bottom five three-point shooting team the year before. So what happens if the three-point shooting falls off even a little bit? You better be ready to put the clamps down defensively. <laughs> that That's my thing. If, you, if Dallas can't 
if they don't have the shooters around Luca, you know, we've talked about Tim, we, you know, being a 40% three point shooter last year. We talked about Seth Curry being a 45, which I looked at those numbers again today. I'm like, dang, Seth was at 45% last year. That's it's insane. This is crazy. Uh, I knew it was 40, but I forgot that it was like that high at 45. But if they don't shoot as well as they did last year, then they have to be, to be as good as we think that they could be, they have to be a top 10, possibly top five, top six defense. And, you know, you look at the three-point numbers last year. Look at the difference in this. You look at a team uh, like, so Dallas was second in the league at 41 threes a game. Houston was first at 45. But you move down a little bit at the, at the, the third and fourth spots, and look at the difference of this. Milwaukee shot 38 threes a game, and they shot it at a 35% clip. For, for reference, Dallas shot, like I said, 41%, but they shot 36%. You look at, but Milwaukee, even though they shot 35% from three, they were a top defense in the league. So that, that helped them a lot. You look at a team like Minnesota, who 3% less than Dallas shot 39 threes a game at third in the league, but at 33% instead of 36% like Dallas did. Look where they were defensively, and they sucked. Okay, so... That's what I'm saying. Like that that's the difference of if you shoot, you know, if Dallas's three point percentage goes down from like a thirty six percent like they did last year, because we all know they're gonna shoot a ton of threes. Like that's a given. They're they're gonna probably be top five in the league again in three pointers. At least I, I, I think they will. And if that goes from a thirty six down to like a thirty three, like Minnesota, and their defense doesn't improve, then they could really struggle. But if it goes down to 33 and their defense goes up, then that's how we've talked all the time, all the time on this pod about if you have to be able to win different ways. And that's one of the ways if your shot's not going in, you have to be able to clamp down and play defense. So that that's my answer. If they can't shoot the ball like they do last, like they did last year, they have to be a much better defensive team. All right. So let's just assume that form holds and the Mavs once again set a new franchise record for three-pointers attempted and probably made as they've done for each of the last like four or five years. Last year, they became one of two teams ever to take at least 40 per game over an entire season. Only Houston has done that for the last couple of years. So if they take 40 or 45 threes per game, basically every percentage point that their accuracy drops is costing them like a point or a point and a half per game. And so like you said, last year they were what, 36%, which was really good. It was top 10 in the league. If they drop to 35, well, that's costing them like a point or a point and a half. If they drop to 34, well, they're losing like two, three points per game uh, if, if everything else stays the same, which it may or may not. But if you do score two fewer points per game or two fewer points per 100 possessions or whatever, however you want to view it, well, then, you know, I mean, you, you got to get those points back on defense. So uh, yeah. it is kind of a numbers game, you know, uh, but offense does not influence defense. Defense does not influence offense. And so if you are not scoring on one end, you got to make it up on the other. And if you're not stopping anyone on defense, then you got to make it up on the other too by just scoring a, a ton. So uh, hopefully their accuracy holds. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, if they don't, uh, if, if they don't repeat last year's performance, which will be tough to do without Seth, you know, and yeah. losing – I know Ryan Brokoff didn't play too many minutes, but he still played, you know, 20, 30 games and he shot over 40%. And you're going to be with that KP for a while. And, uh, you know, Dwight Powell coming back into that role is obviously a step down in accuracy from Porzingis. So, like, there are going to be some hurdles. Uh, but if Josh Richardson shoots 80%, then it won't matter anyway. So uh, I guess I guess he, he solves that problem for us, Isaac. So uh, let's go on to, to big giant question number two. All right, so... 
let's just keep the theme of offense going. We know that KP is obviously still in his rehab process. We just mentioned a while ago, I warmed up with the team against Minnesota in the last preseason game. Rick's been very cautious, like, hey, you know, we're hoping at least January, blah, blah, blah. Even when KP comes back, we we both assume that there's, there's going to be some type of management, you know, thing with his, you know, injury stuff, whether it's back-to-backs, periodical rests, good rest, you know, injury stuff. That's, that's good. Um, there's going to be time to where KP is not playing. And even when he's like not playing, Luca has to be off the floor. <laughs> um, I am not really concerned, but one of my biggest questions is what will Dallas's offense look like without Luca and without KP, especially the games that KP doesn't play. And Luca has to take a break, even though how much we all, everybody listening to this wants the ball in Luca's hands of all, <laughs> all the time. We get it. But Luca has to take breaks and what will the offense look like? And does Josh Richardson, Brunson, Tim Hardaway, is that enough to keep the team afloat offensively? That is a very key question because Luca, even even when everybody is healthy and everyone's involved, Luca's really what, usually 32? You know, sometimes he'll get to like yeah. 34 or 36. But, you know, Rick likes to keep his minutes down because he is so involved whenever he's on the floor. So that is going to be a big question. Uh, for the last... 10 years basically minus a couple we've been able to say well jj will just take care of business you know and last year he did have some down performances but he had some really really good games too and you know there is something to be said where even when his shot wasn't falling he was able to create stuff for other people that especially became the case whenever jalen brunson was out brunson is i i mean he's a very good playmaker he can really make stuff happen for other people but like you know, to to wit, the the five games that Luca missed in December, as the Mavs were facing that Eastern Conference gauntlet, Brunson had some huge games. Like he was really good against yeah. Milwaukee. Uh, he was really good against Miami. He was great against Philly. I think he had like eleven assists in that game, like a double double. Um, but you know, for the most part in his career, it feels like, and this is just totally speculation. Like this is just remembering hindsight sort of stuff. It feels like his best minutes have come whenever Luca's also on the floor. Because Lucan can kind of like do the heaviest lifting, and then Brunson can sort of like pick up the pieces. This year, the backcourt is a little different. With Brunson and Burke, I find it hard to believe that Luca would be playing with the second unit too much. Like I think the bench will be the bench, yeah. and so it's going to be on Jalen more so than it has in recent years because he won't have Luca to lean on. And as we saw with Trey Burke in the bubble, he was really good at playing off Luca too. But he's more of like a scorer than a point guard, if you want to like view it that yeah. way. So at least so we think. So I think a lot of it is going to come down to what is Brunson capable of doing. And maybe once Porzingis is back, maybe Dwight Powell moves to the bench and you can just lean on the pick and roll and you know swing it over to Burke and see what happens. Or pick and pop with Maxi, or you got Willie Colley Stein. I mean, Brunson will have dance partners and, and Burke will too, but a lot is going to be on their shoulders. And so the question is like as is usually the case with teams that have superstar players, their plus minus, the, those, those top guys are going to be so good that basically all you need for your bench to do is just like hold hold the line, just tread water, right? Just like play even. Yeah. In recent years, the Mavs' bench has been so good that they've been able to like gain points while their best players are out. Will that be the case again this year? I have no idea. It would be great if it was, but that's all that they really have to do because like the Mavs starting lineup is going to be so good. They're going to outscore opponents by five, eight, ten points every game. So can the bench just hold steady, 
you know, for eight yeah. to ten minutes. But that's that's hard to do because sometimes you're going to be playing against starters. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's I think it's all on you know not to apply pressure to the guy, but I think a lot of it is on Brunson and Burke. I'm glad you brought up the Brunson angle because I think naturally, even when I you know gave you the question, naturally it's like, all right, well, next guys up are you know Jay Rich and Tim Hardaway. And it's not always just those guys. It's the Brunson. I pulled up uh, this game February 1st, uh, obviously before the hiatus happened, and Luka and KP didn't play in this game. And so it was against the Hawks. Uh, they won by 23 points in this game. But, you know, I was looking at just the box score of it, and Jalen Brunson was the leading scorer of this game. Uh, 27 points in that game. Dorian Finney-Smith, 22. Maxi 18. You know, so, you know, this is a team that didn't, you know, Tim Hardaway only scored seven points in this game. So it's a, it's an example of that. It's not just Tim, you know, obviously uh, Jay Ridge wasn't on his team, but uh, Seth had 15 off the bench, but it's an example. Can you trust, you know, that Dorian is going to put up 20 points a game every time that Luke or KP doesn't play. I don't know that. I don't know if that's uh, his thing in this offense, but that's what, you know, Brunson having 27 that game. I'm glad you brought that up because I think Brunson is the key to that when, and you know, we're not, when, if, if we're just talking about when Luca's on the bench, that's not a ton of minutes. You know, Luca's going to play over 30 minutes probably. So it's all about treading the water, but I think it's a bigger question to where let's say KB still not back, you know, Luca rolls an ankle and he's out a couple games or something. Then that's the main question we're all talking about. It's like, all right, Where's this offense go from here? And I think, like you said, it's going to start with Jalen Brunson. Yeah. The, the whole Rick Carlisle mantra is just, is it mantra or mantra, by the way? I always said mantra. Yeah, I, I read it as mantra, but I usually say it as mantra. But let's just let's roll with mantra. Is stay ready, right? Just yeah. stay. If you're a bench guy, you got to stay ready. And last year was like, you know, the, that that team had plenty of warts. But last year was the ultimate stay ready year. With Berea, Brunson stepped up. Maxi stepped up whenever he had to start. Like that Zion game was just unreal. Boban yeah. would come in and give you a double double in like five a minutes. Denver so like game. last year it was perfect. And now if those guys can do that again, then you're really cooking with some gas here. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean a lot of it is in the in the hands of those two guards in the backcourt. Um all right, moving on to question number three. That will define the Mavs season. Isaac. Who are the Mavs competing against, really? Like what is the who are the teams? Well, first, let's establish, I guess, where do you see them kind of in this, in, in, in the West? Like, what is the hierarchy looking like? And then who are they competing against? Whose scores do we need to be watching every night? What are the teams that are like, realistically, you feel like into April and May, that it's going to be kind of a dogfight to, to see where the, the standings shake out? Yeah, um, I think the Lakers are just in a class by themselves at the top. Um, and I hate saying that because I hate the Lakers. I'm going to cut that soundbite out and just, <laughs> just leave it. Just post it by itself. Um, I just, I mean, they did so much this off season to bring in those guys and Schroeder and Harrell and getting West on the minimum. And I think Anthony Davis going to have a monster year too. So I, if we just leave the champs at the top, I think then you have this group of five teams. And in my opinion, it's five teams. I think it's five teams. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. In my opinion, it's five teams. I'm sorry I'm not putting the Suns in that group. Not yet. I know a lot of people love them, but sure. Um, I think you're looking at Denver, Portland, Dallas, Clippers, Jazz. And it's like all five of those teams, if if any of those five finish at two, 
then I like I like I think they're all interchangeable. That's my thing. It's like you could convince me there's a storyline on all of them. Denver, they just ride the their whole continuity thing. They land at two again. You know, they were what two or three in the West last year. Same with Kawhi and Paul George. Let's say Kawhi plays majority of the season. They figure out the chemistry. They're right there. Dallas has an amazing offensive season. Luka's MVP. They're right there at two. KP plays most of the year. Portland, I love their offense. You know, Lillard's an MVP candidate. I love, you know, their top, what, seven, eight guys in their team. I, I love that. Utah, speaking of continuity, I feel like people are kind of sleeping on them. They get Bogdanovich back, and they run their squad back, who, you know, they were a Conley three-pointer away from being where Denver was in, in the playoffs. So I, I could hear any of those. So those are the main, the four other teams outside of Dallas that I'm watching the most. I think Dallas could very well, I, I think they finished somewhere three four five somewhere like that in the west this year uh but you could out you could convince me they finished two and i think worst worst case they finished like six it is i mean so hard to project just like standard disclaimer because of yeah. injuries back-to-back rest load management but then also yes. covid i mean like there's so many factors at play and of course there could be earth-shattering trades coming out of houston who's another team that could be if hardly stays they in, could yeah. be up there but who knows we'll see um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you that that's the group. I'm not quite ready to put Phoenix in the top six, but like if they're not in the top I'm seven, not. I'll be pretty surprised. Cause like, I, I think that they're like pretty clearly best of the rest, uh, them or golden state. Maybe I, I have guess. them and the warriors in a tier by themselves right after that. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, Memphis, new Orleans and, and new Orleans, like they could bully people. I don't know. I mean, th- this season is going to be such a grind that, like, if you have to play them on the second night of a back-to-back, like, you got Zion and Steven Adams just beating your brains in. I mean, it would just yeah. be – so this year is going to be weird. There's going to be a lot of weird weird results, but I think it's going to come down to that group. Like, so those five teams that you just mentioned, Dallas, Portland, Denver, Clippers, and uh, the other team – oh, Utah, of course, which I, I think Utah is the best of those five, in my dumb opinion. But um, I think the – the number two seed of those five will be the team that has the best head-to-head record against the rest of those five. They're all playing yeah. each other three times, so every single tiebreaker will be settled, unlike in normal years where a lot of times you can go 2-2. Uh, you're playing every team an odd number of games in the West this year, and so if you can win those tiebreakers, and if you can in those 12 games that you play against the the four opponents if you can win seven or eight of them then that's going to give you a huge leg up because the west is just going to be a feeding frenzy you're going to have just people beating each other up all year and uh i mean the team with like lucas says the least covid cases the team with the fewest injuries it it could make it to the end but that's that's going to be key man because you're probably whether or not the mavs finish third or fourth or whatever in the first round if they make the playoffs obviously like they're probably going to be playing one of those teams you know, yeah. one of the one of the four that we just mentioned, other than Dallas. So, uh, I mean, it's looking like that's going to be the group. So I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Luca thing. I was going to mention that that Luca kind of halfway said at the beginning of training camp, he's like, "Hey, whatever team has the least amount of COVID cases," and I mean, that's real because I mean, you're what you know, somebody tests positive, it knocks you know a player out for a couple weeks, and that's just saying if everything goes good and you know, then getting back healthy and hopefully to do and all of it. So that it feels like everybody's preparing for that. And that's on top of injuries and stuff that happened too. It feels like every year a big injury knocks at least one or two you know teams in one of the conferences, you know, out of the playoffs. So yeah, kind of hard to project, especially yeah. this year. Luckily the Mavs have the league's preeminent Fortnite player. So 
uh, he's totally fine with just staying inside. You know, he's yes. totally cool with just hanging out. Uh, all right, moving on to question number four, Isaac. Yeah, I mean, if let's just stay uh, on the Luca note. You know, how much better can Luka Doncic be next year? Slash doesn't matter as much uh, because he's already such a good player last year, top five MVP guy. How, and I guess a specific area, and I, I don't want us to do the whole like, oh, he's got to shoot the three better because I feel like everybody just throws that out there uh, because he did shoot 31%. He can get better at that. But is it just as simple as saying, hey, he's just got to shoot a better percentage and that that's it? Or is there any other area that we're looking at saying this is the area that Luca can get even better at significantly? So whenever you get to the level he's at, like I, I think I mentioned this on with you actually this months ago, uh, but it's never too late to just recycle an old take. So the difference between Luka and LeBron, statistically, very similar. Shooting numbers, at the rim, three-pointers, free throws, rebounds, assists. They're like almost the same guy. And now they're, they do have different sort of you know, pet moves and, and tricks and, and all that stuff. But, I mean, on paper, the same. they have a lot of – they what? Verticals the same. Absolutely, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, but the one thing that really stands out when I mean, there's many that that when you watch LeBron, I mean, he's he's amazing. But one thing that really separates LeBron from Luca right now is like you watch an average LeBron James game, not just like Game Seven of the Finals, but just Tuesday night against the Wizards. LeBron like never wastes possessions. Ever. He never wastes – like, he never – I mean, he'll, like, you know, coast on defense a little bit. It's a long season and all that stuff. But, I mean, every single time he touches the ball, he is not, like, wasting time. He's not wasting energy. Like, everything he does has a purpose. And he'll turn it over and he'll take some dumb shots. But, like, he makes mistakes, like, 2% of the time during a game. And there are a lot of possessions where – you know, for, for Luca right now, you know, he's still a young guy and emotional and all that stuff, but like maybe he'll be frustrated with the call. And so he'll like force a shot, you know, like a hopeless three trying to get a, a whistle or just like throw himself at the rim or, you know, like maybe just like a little too much mellow, a little too much lamello ball on the pass. And, you know, it kind of gets away from him. Like he is prone to making mistakes like that, like maybe 10% of the time. And that's still not many. Like, he touches the ball 150 times in a game, and he does something, you know, silly like, you know, 10 times. But yeah. as many close games as they played last year, I mean, it's all it all matters. You know, every, every shot matters, every possession matters, and all that stuff. And so every time back going on defense matters. And so, like, that's the thing, like, the – the tactical side of the game and the the skill and and the the production and all that stuff it's all like perfect i mean yeah it would be awesome if he could shoot 40% from 3 or even 35% from 3 whatever like that'll happen or it won't but the mental side of like reaching like zen mode right and it it took dirk a while i mean it takes it took lebron a while like it, it takes guys a long time to get there but that's the way that he gets better where your average luka doncic game is like that you leave thinking like he made like no mistakes you know it was flawless yeah. and uh that's very tough to perfection is tough to obtain obviously but and he'll never play a mistake free game but like that game against Milwaukee in the bubble is easy because he had 19 assists and two turnovers but like every single time he touched the ball in that game he had an intention you know and that was just very impressive 
to see. So I guess it's that's more like the mental, like intangible side of things is like how many how many possessions will he kind of let get away from him, uh, or can he just stay in command for all forty eight minutes or thirty six minutes or whatever it is? That that's that's why I think he can how I think he can get even better. Yeah, you mentioned the ref thing too. I mean, I think that's. Uh, I mean, Rick has talked about that in press conferences before and how they've uh, tried to work on that with him because I think there's an art to it. The, I, there's not a – like every player complains, especially all the star players. They all complain to the refs. It just – there's a boundary to it and there's a line to it that sometimes it gets blurry a little bit of, you know, after every timeout or every dead ball or to where it starts taking you out of defensive possessions and, you know, you're not getting back. That's the stuff that I, I, th- I just think it will come, you know, with time. And he's an emotional player. We love that emotion. It's a give-and-take relationship with the emotions. Like, man, yes, it's awesome to see uh, the celebration and stuff. But he's going to get frustrated, too, like we all would. Like, he – I mean, I would be the same way if I was an NBA player. I would be so mad at some of the calls. And uh, I do I did want to point out the clutch stuff, too. I think, uh, I think there is some – progress to be made as far as uh numbers in the clutch the 17 percent from the, the three-point line mostly uh, sorry clutch. to cut you off but mostly just no, no, no. you know maintaining um like the attack right in the clutch yeah. like i it it could be viewed as settling or whatever and and mike prada from uh formerly of sp nation but now he kind of does his own thing he had a really good article about that today or yesterday or great sometime yeah. recently about how the mavs were great and you know, kind of what changed, and and that that is some of it. I think Isaac just like having the awareness to just get it get it up the floor quicker. Like just like those those are such these are all such little things that like really don't matter to be honest. But when stacked up on each other, they they do. You know, you make yeah. ten mistakes in a one possession game. You know, you kind of yeah. wish that you could take one of them back. Yeah, yeah, and just yeah, clutch stuff. Sixty four percent from the line, free throw line in the clutch. Um, I want to see him try to get to the line a little bit more. And when he does get to the line uh, more in the clutch uh, to be able to hit him at a higher clip than 64% and stuff too. So it, we're just, we're nitpicking at this point, but this is what you do when you have an MVP candidate at 21 and we're like, all right, can he be even better? And it's like, he's already one of the best players in the game. So we're just like trying to find the little edges around the corner that we can try to shape a little bit and to make it a perfect uh, player. So anyway, yeah, there you go. Yeah, and I mean, some of those things, like, you know, 64% of the clutch, that's not really nitpicking. I mean, I I understand why it's <laughs> such a, like, it's a serious talking point because, like, it is a problem. you got to be able to win those close games. But um, I don't know. I mean, I don't. he'll either get there or he won't. You know, I, I, yeah. and I know that's such a, like, a dumb way to look at it. But, like, there's just I don't know. We can spend all our time thinking about the like the seven things that Luca does bad, or we could just think about like the nine hundred and forty two things that he's like one of the two or three best people in the NBA at doing. So uh, I don't know. It's mostly just like it's your attitude. You know, is yeah. is it is it half empty or is it half full? I guess is the way that <laughs> the way that I, we should talk about Luca. All right, Isaac. The last question. And this is perhaps the most, the, the broadest, the most ambiguous, the most up to interpretation. So uh, I want you to spread your creative wings and I want you to think of, of a, a way or many ways to answer this question. What, in your opinion, would define this season as a success? What would be, what, what does success mean to you this year? It could be individually, it could be team-wise, it could be production, performance, results. What is 
eight months from now, we're sitting back thinking about the season that was, and you're like, that was a good year. Yeah, I think Dallas is kind of transitioning out of the sweet spot. And, you know, the past two years have been the sweet spot as far as fandom because we've had Luka Doncic, this new superstar, hit the scene, and the expectations have been low. You know, we go back to this equation I heard years ago to where, you know, success uh, equals results minus expectations. And our expectations have been low to where we're like, success you know like you know we haven't expected a uh, a title in Luca's rookie season uh, or less you know I feel like I haven't or a lot of people haven't and you know now we're starting to get to that where I don't think we're there yet I don't I mean personally I don't think it's title or bust or any of that yet we're inching closer to that so for me I just want to see a gradual step forward I still think we're moving forward and I think a lot of it depends on the matchup. You know, if you're telling me, uh, so I first response to your question, we make it to the second round, like that for me, that's a success. But I think for the for the fan base and everything, if it's a team outside of the Lakers that we're facing in the second round, and we get, you know, and Dallas gets swept in the second round or something like that, I think somebody will be like, this is a disappointment. But I think if you make it to the second round, you're a four or five seed. You make it to the second round. You beat a really good you know, Utah team in the first round or Denver or whoever it is. You face up with the Lakers, and it goes six games in the second round. You get beat. I feel like a lot of people would be like, all right, successful season. We made a step further in the playoffs. And that's where I land on it. Second round, that's a, that's a success for me. But you know how will, I'm, and this is what I'm just thinking out loud. How will the fan base take it if, first round they match up with one of those teams a Denver a Utah you know whoever it is in that second round Portland and they lose in seven games they lose in six games and it's not a Lakers Clippers you know a definitive top two seed will the fan base still consider that a success or not uh I don't know so for me a successful season second round gradual step forward I think I'm with you and my my idea of a success, I guess, is more about the process, but that will hugely impact the results, I think. So my success for this year would be um, better execution in crunch time, and execution should lead to better performance, which should lead to more wins. So just better execution. Just do better stuff late in games. Um, find a way to survive the gauntlet of the schedule with – as many people intact as you can. You know, they, they got snake bit with some weird injuries, some really unlucky breaks for Brunson and Dwight Powell, um, and then also for KP in the playoffs, obviously. Uh, just find a way to survive the grind. Um, and then become a top, certainly top half, ideally like top 12 defense. Uh, yeah. It would be tough. I mean, they have, they have to improve like pretty significantly to get to the top 12, but they, could, they need to, they, you have to be in the top half. You just they they can't be the 16th best playoff team at defense next year. They might not make the playoffs if they are. So they they got to be better on defense. Uh, and if all of those things happen, if you're like healthier, if you're better on defense, you don't have to be top 10. That would be really cool, and you know we'd be dabbing like all the time if they were top 10 on defense. But if you're just like top half, and you do better late in games. All of those things will add up to winning more games in the regular season, getting a more favorable playoff matchup. This year, I mean, you know, 
hopefully everything works out and stuff and and you can have like home games you know and maybe with fans that would be rad um by the by the time the playoffs roll around and and so you can ride kind of the home court momentum and all that stuff and and then you are winning a playoff series i think in that case because all of the things that really kind of bit them against the clippers was lack of defensive options against Kawhi, specifically running out of healthy bodies and then you know losing the close games uh in in the regular season and in that playoff series you know with the exception of the buzzer beater so I mean, I think all of those things, if they just get like just like 5% better at each of those three things, then it will add up and, and, and to be just be a huge result. And then all of a sudden you are winning a series or at least giving up whoever it is a heck of a go. And in that instance, I mean, like, you know, it, the season sort of clarifies everything as we go on. But right now, the only team that I would say is definitely better than the Mavs is the Lakers in the West. Yeah. And so if you can – you know, if you can put yourself in a position to compete with these other teams and let the chips fall where they may and let's see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I think that's that's how they get there. So I'm more concerned, I guess, with the process. But if if the process, like if they check off those boxes, then the results will take care of themselves, yeah. I think. Yeah, and, and it all depends on what the storylines look like in the playoffs. You know, let's say Denver uh, finishes just like a game behind the Lakers and they're the cl- clear-cut number two in the West – and you know Dallas faces off against them somehow in the playoffs, and they lose. And it's like, all right, well, fully healthy. I'm like you. I think I, I put this Mavs team up against anybody fully healthy, and I, I'm down to go. Let's let's see in the playoff series. But it, then it just look, you know, it gets wild to where like let's say Dallas finishes three and Utah finishes six, and you're like, then in everybody's minds, like, all right, well, we should be the heavy favorites. We're good to go. It's like, okay, well, is there that big of a difference between three and six in this Western Conference, in that group of five teams, you know? So uh, it should be – but like you said, everything in that process, if they hit those marks, then there you go. They should be higher up in the seeds. They should be, you know, hopefully winning a playoff series, something like that. The expectations are slowly starting to go up a little bit, but – I, in my opinion, bringing it full circle, I don't think it's title or bust this year. Yeah, and the other kind of like the – if we wake up on May 15th or whatever the last day of the regular season is and the Mavs are in this position, we know that something has gone really wrong. I I, I mean, the only results-based thing that I will say is, yes, you have to do this, is you cannot be in the play-in. Like, you, no. you got to finish top six. I mean – I think that this team is good enough to where if they are in the play in, it means that people have missed like significant time, you know, or something yeah. has gone really wrong, which would suck. You know, you can think of what those would be, but um, that is kind of the, the outcome. But you have to find a way to finish top six because, yes, dude, if you're in a play in like one game against Damian Lillard or one yeah. game against even like Zion, John Morant, or like Steph, for God's sake, like. These are yeah. all guys that are going to be in the play-in. Chris Paul could be in the play Like, no thank you. You know, I do not want to play one game against any of these teams or even two if you're, like, the higher seed, whatever. Like, get me out of there. So, you, you, I think you have to finish top six. Uh, but, yeah, and then after that, it's let's let's just see what happens. But, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, uh, like, at the on the one hand, I don't really want to, like, put a ceiling on them, like, are they really worse than the Lakers? Probably, but, you know, I mean, I don't want to talk about it like they are because that's kind of defeatist, but at the same time, you know, you want to be as realistic as possible because 
every other team is really good too, especially this year. I mean, the the things that are separating all these teams, like you were saying, I mean, it's just like the smallest, the smallest yeah. of margins. And I think for Dallas, it's they're one of the harder teams to project because we have to see how many. Like, if you could tell me right now how many games Kristaps Porzingis is guaranteed to play this season, then I feel like I would have a better grasp on exactly where I think Dallas would land. And Luca. Yeah, and Luca too. But like when Porzingis plays, and he, you know, pre-bubble Porzingis, that stretch. If you could tell me that Porzingis, like right now, if you could tell me Porzingis would play, you know, there's 72 games a season. If you're gonna tell me Porzingis plays 60 of the 72, which I, I'm just throwing a number out there, and majority of those number, majority of those games are pre-bubble KP, then take everything I said about the Lakers. I would say, all right, put put this roster against. I'm ready. I'm that confident, but it's just, I think there will be some management stuff with KP. I, let's see how much time he does miss in January and stuff like that. So I'm factoring that into, you know, Mavericks and where they land and stuff like that. A lot of big questions, a lot of stuff to chew on when we didn't even touch on all of the things that we're thinking about and, and, you know, confident about, and maybe even worrying about ahead of this season. But Hey, the, it's all going to change by the week. Your confidence level, your panic meter, your uh, the amount of S that you're talking to all your Laker friends in your group chat, it's all going to change like daily this year. It's going to be such a marathon. It's going to be such a grind. And so before it all gets started, I just want to say just like just try and enjoy it. You know, yeah. Isaac, what you were talking about earlier about kind of the, you know, exiting the sweet spot, I, I agree with you. You know, last year was such a beautiful place to be because any good stuff was just like, this rules, you know, like we beat the Lakers one time. That was great. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of, you know, now it's, it's like almost winning time and that's exciting too. It is. Yeah. But it also means that, you know, at the end of the year, you're going to realize that 29 teams don't win the championship and like, you're going to be mad. And so I would just say like, as they try and do this and maybe they can give it a good go this year, maybe you got to wait one more to do it. Just enjoy it because the climb is still going on and it's the the climb is what makes you appreciate the apex even more. Like Dirk's title means so much to us because he failed twelve times before he finally made it. So like just you know, just enjoy the day to day. Just enjoy the highs. The lows are gonna come, they're gonna happen, but just, you know, especially this year, God, you could lose five games in a week. Five games yeah. in a week. Like imagine how how terrible that would be. So just <laughs> Just enjoy the good stuff while it lasts because, you know, one day you're going to wake up and it's all going to be over and you're going to be, you're going to be bumming. <laughs> Eat <thinking>. Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> Go get a roast beef today yeah. <laughs> and, and some curly fries. Yeah, nothing matters. We're all going to die Except one day. Luca, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody but Luca. Yeah. Don't do uh, oh man. All right, Isaac. Any, uh, any, any final words that are more or less philosophical than what I just said before? Uh, before they roll the ball out in the desert or the valley or the whatever in Phoenix? No, I, I would just say, man, these first three games, I think we're going to be telling for the Mavericks uh, in a lot of sense. You know, it's it's tough three games. We've said it before that Phoenix plays Dallas really well, typically. And then you get both the L.A. teams and, you know, without KP, um, all of that. And this week, I think one of the biggest things is, enjoy the Mavericks on Christmas day. Like this is something we haven't got. And I don't know. When was the last time? I don't, I don't uh, even know. Lockout year. Christmas day of 2011. 
Dang. And the so, heat, yeah. the, the heat made sure we didn't enjoy that one. That was not a good <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> so yeah, enjoy it. Uh, I think we're wearing what the Hardwood Classics that day uh, against the Lakers, and I would expect LeBron to be ready for that on a primetime game. And I mean, you get Luca versus LeBron and on Christmas night, and so just sit back and enjoy it. Hopefully, it goes better than the lockout year Christmas Day, and uh, let's see the Mavericks take home a win. Let's make it happen, Isaac. Three and zero guaranteed. That's what I got from you. Uh, exactly. You better, you better watch your back, Suns, Lakers, and Clippers, because we are coming for you. Me and Isaac, our flight leaves to Phoenix tomorrow or something. We'll, we will, we will not be at the game, but uh, they'll be feeling our spirit there. All right, Isaac. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate you, man. And thank you as always for listening. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the some of the burning questions we asked? What other things uh, would you like to hear about? What other talking points would you want us to hit on early in the year before uh, before the story unfolds right in front of us? Let us know. He's Isaac L. Harris on Twitter. I am Bobby Corella on Twitter and in real life. He's also Isaac L. Harris in real life too. But he the L is like optional, I guess, in real life. He's just, you know, Isaac. Uh, but on Twitter, he's Isaac L. Harris. Don't forget the L. You can hear him talk about the Mavs pretty much every day of the week on Locked On Mavericks. That is part of the Locked On Network. You can also read all of his stuff at Mavs.com, including a uh, still fairly new piece on Tyler Bay, kind of a pretty all-encompassing feature on his background in basketball and, and his, his rise through kind of high school, prep school, and uh, ultimately winding up at Colorado before coming to the Mavs. And he had a similar piece on Tyrell Terry, only he played at Stanford, not Colorado. But their, you know, their journey, everyone's journey is different, and Isaac chronicled them both at Mavs.com, so read about them there. And you can find Mavs Daily also almost every day of the week, including tomorrow. And we will see you then on Mavs Daily. Mavs Daily.